Last month, a government minister in the UK came under fire because of his recent travel itinerary. Over the past seven months, a guy called Mr. Alok Sharma has visited more than 30 different countries on government business. Now, for some, this was a problem uh, because of the pandemic and because many of the countries that he's been visiting are on the UK's red list, which means you're supposed to uh, not go to it if you can avoid it and also you have to quarantine if you come back and he hasn't been doing that. But the other reason for this criticism is that Mr. Sharma is actually the president of COP26, which maybe you know is the United Nations Climate Change Conference due to take place in Glasgow in November. And so to many people it seemed ridiculous that the man who will bring together all the world leaders to talk about how we can reduce our impact on our environment has himself been taking all these international flights which is seen as a major contributor to the problem. Now, I don't know if those guys, that guy's trips were necessary or not, and you know, I can't judge that. But it never looks good, does it, to be saying one thing and to be doing the other. That always, that's always looks bad. At the very least, it sends her a mixed message. But in a sense, that's what the church in Corinth had been doing when they met together for worship. They claimed that they were meeting together to share communion together, which should have celebrated the selfless sacrifice of Jesus Christ to unite them together in the church. But in actual fact, they were doing this in such a self-indulgent way that instead it just highlighted and deepened the divisions that existed between them. And so in our next section of of, uh, his letter to the Corinthians, Paul challenged this church to get back to celebrating the Lord's Supper. So this morning we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read from verse 17 down to verse 34, and Roxana's going to come up, and she is going to read uh, for us. Thank you, Roxana. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. 
Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we, if we, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Thank you very much, Roxana. That was great. So the situation in the church in Corinth eh, was really bad. In fact, it was so messed up that Paul said, as we read in verse 17, that your meetings do more harm than good. That's not a good thing to say about any church service, is it? Instead of building up and encouraging them, their times of worship and fellowship were actually tearing themselves apart. They went away in a worse state than when they arrived. And for the, re- the reason for this was because when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. As we've seen before in this letter, this church was deeply divided. They were divided, for example, if you remember right at the start of this letter, over the favourite celebrity leaders. Some people said, oh, I follow Paul. Others, I follow Apollos. And others, I follow Peter. Then they were also divided over legal issues. They were actually taking each other to court and suing each other. And then more recently we read how they were divided over the issue of whether they should eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols or not. But this church was also divided over financial issues. Economic differences over how much money they had. As a result, when Paul said that when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Now that's not a name we usually use, the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Supper is just another name for the communion time, or communion service. When we break bread and we drink the cup together. And in the church... In the early church, it seemed that this usually took place as part of a meal. That's probably like eh, because Jesus instituted communion as part of the Passover meal on the night before he went to the cross. So just like we, we used to do, remember those good old days before COVID when we used to have church lunch and enjoy fellowship together? Well, that's what they did. They had a meal as an expression of love and care for each other. And as part of that meal, (coughs) they would break bread and drink from the cup. But what this church was doing was not the Lord's Supper. It was not an expression of love and commitment to each other. And it was not a celebration 
of Christ's loving sacrifice. Look at verse 21. Paul said, For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. People were not there sharing their food with each other. The wealthier people, they were just, they, they were coming with lots of food and lots of drink. And without waiting on others to arrive, they were just stuffing their faces and getting drunk. And so when others arrived, the poorer people in the church arrived, they had nothing to eat and nothing to drink. So Paul strongly challenged them. Verse 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? They might have called this a fellowship meal, but it really wasn't a time of fellowship. The wealthier people were not in fellowship. They were not expressing love to those who had little. This was not either a a time of focusing on Christ. This was nothing more than an expression of self-indulgence and greed. And they were doing all of this at the cost of weakening the community of God's people and humiliating the poorer members of that community, their poorer brothers and sisters in Christ. But there were other serious consequences as a result of their actions. Look at verse 30. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. Now we need to be careful when we read this. Okay, Careful that we don't go beyond what Paul is saying. Paul was not saying that everybody who was sick in that church or who had passed away, who had died in that church, was suffering the consequences of their sin and how they took communion. He was not saying that at all. Neither was he saying that everyone who took communion wrongly was sick or who died. And neither was he suggesting that any of them in that church community had lost their salvation as a result of this. Remember Jesus' promise in John chapter 5 and 24? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has passed over from death to life. So if we have trusted in Jesus, then our salvation is secure. And we cannot lose that. Because Christ will not lose us. But what Paul was saying here was that some people in this church had experienced illness or death because they ate the bread and drank the cup in an unworthy manner. This was the serious consequences of their sin. That's because, Paul said, they were guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's how serious this was. 
by despising the poorer members of their church and having no concern over how their actions were impacting their brothers and sisters in Christ, they were showing a complete disregard for what Jesus had accomplished for them on the cross. Yes, they were eating the bread, they were drinking the cup, that we'll see in a minute or two, was supposed to remember and worship the Lord. But by their lack of love and consideration for those of whom Christ died, they were showing, they were demonstrating that they really did not value his sacrifice at all. And that is what Paul meant by eating the bread or drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. Now, let's really be careful here. This is not talking about the worthiness of the person taking part. This is not talking about how good a Christian you are. Because none of us are worthy. We can only take part in a communion service as a gift of God's grace. None of us deserve or have earned the right to fellowship with Christ in that way. But instead, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner is taking part in communion in a way that's inconsistent with what Jesus did on the cross. It is claiming to be in fellowship with Christ and at the same time acting in a way that is divisive and destructive in the fellowship of his church. And it's that lack of love for God's people that brought such a serious judgment from God in this local church. Look at verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So this is how closely, this is how much Christ identifies with his church. The church, the people of God, is the body of Christ. It's the body of the Lord. So we can't claim to love Him if we don't love His people. It's just like you, you can't go to up to somebody and say, I love you, but I don't love your body. And so I'm going to beat you up. Doesn't make sense, does it? You can't separate the person from their body. And at the same time, you can't separate Christ from His body. We can't honour him as our Saviour and Lord if we're not willing to honour each other as our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this was the disastrous situation in Corinth. Their meetings were so far from what they should have been that their spiritual health, their community health and even their physical health was being negatively impacted. But you know what is really amazing here? It's how Paul responded to this church. 
It was an absolute mess. But Paul didn't give up on it. He didn't just kind of wash his hands of it and just walk away and say, that's an absolute mess, I'm getting out of here. And neither did he tell them, look guys, your services are doing more harm than good, so just close the doors and just stop meeting together. Instead, he believed that even in that difficult situation, God was at work. God was transforming them. He was helping them to change. That's what he believed the purpose of God's judgment was. Look at verse 32. When we are being judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. This judgment on this community from God was not God rejecting them. Rather, it was God disciplining them. He loved them and he wanted them to be trained by this difficult situation. To grow into the worshipping and loving community that he'd called them to be. And so Paul, seeing this mess, he didn't walk away and said he stepped into it. By teaching them again the beautiful symbolism of this meal. He said in verse 23, For I receive from the Lord what I passed on to you. We don't know how Paul actually received this teaching. He obviously wasn't there when Jesus instituted that meal in that upper room. But the Lord had taught this to Paul And he wanted then to pass it on to these Christians. He wanted to pass it on what it really, truly meant. So let's have a look at what this meal means and how we should eat it together. So first of all, he told them to look back. Verse 24. The Lord Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The night that Jesus went to the cross, he ate with his disciples in the upper room and he took an ordinary, everyday piece of bread and he broke it and he shared it with his people, with his disciples and he told them to eat it together. And as we mentioned a few weeks ago, this was not to pay for sins. This was not like a a continuation or a, a repetition of Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice was a once-for-all event, a once-for-all time payment for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt of our sin in full. So instead, as Jesus said here, this was to be done in remembrance of me. The broken bread was a symbol To help us to remember 
Jesus. To remember that his body was broken under the weight of our sin. That he died for us in our place to pay the price that should have been ours. And then in the same way, verse 25, after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Again, this cup did not take away our sins. Rather, it's a symbol, a symbol of the new covenant, the new agreement, the new contract between God and us. Through which God has brought us into His family. Into this new relationship with Him. Through the blood of Jesus. Through His death on the cross. And so as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we are called to look back and remember. Remember all that Jesus accomplished for us. So we're humbled again to see in Christ's suffering the depth of our sin. The awful consequence of our rebellion against God because He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. As we, as we seek to grasp the, the suffering of Christ, we see how awful our sins really are. But as we look back, we're also amazed to see the depth of God's love for us. God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we're also filled with joy as we again see the power of God's salvation. As He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. And so communion is first of all a remembrance feast. It's God's gift to us to help us to look back and remember all that Jesus has done in giving Himself for us. It brings us back to the centre of our faith, the foundation of our lives, the reason for our hope. So that we can express gratitude and love and worship For the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So as we eat, we're called to look back. But Paul here also asked us to look forward. Look at verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Until he comes. Now there are no commands in the Bible as to how often we should take communion together. Some churches only do it kind of now and again. Some maybe once a month. 
Uh, we, of course, usually do it every week. We believe it should be the, the centre of our, our church life, the, the core of our worship time. But however often we choose to do this, one day we will stop. One day we won't need the symbols of bread and cup anymore to remember Jesus. That's because communion is not a funeral service for a dead hero that we remember who did something amazing in the past. Rather, it's a victory celebration for our risen Lord. He defeated death. He rose from the the grave. He ascended into heaven and he's exalted at his Father's right hand and he's interceding for us. And one day, he will return. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And when we're with the Lord, we won't need those symbols anymore. We won't need the bread and the cup because we will be with Jesus face to face. And so as we take communion, we are not just looking back to what Jesus did accomplish, we're looking forward in eager expectation to meeting our Saviour face to face and being with Him forever. But before we do that, Before we eat that bread and drink that cup, Paul wanted us to look, to look within. Verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. Communion is is an opportunity for us to examine our lives to judge our sins, to confess them to the Lord and to receive His full and free forgiveness. And that, of course, is so much better than waiting for the Lord's hand of discipline in our lives. As Paul said in verse 29, if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. But we need to be, we need to be very careful and remember what Paul is actually teaching here. Paul was not encouraging us to examine ourselves to see if we are worthy of eating this meal. To see if we are good enough to share in communion this week. He's not asking us to look back on the week that's just passed and say, well, have you been a good Christian this week or not? Well, no, so I can't take communion this week. That's not what Paul is saying at all. Folks, we will never be worthy of eating communion this this morning. We will never have earned the right to come here and to celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross. The meal is not for people who think they are living a good life. It is for sinners who know that they have been forgiven. So Paul instead was asking us to examine ourselves to see if we're we're eating and drinking this, this meal 
in a worthy way. Are we eating this in a way that is consistent with what Jesus has done in our lives? In this feast we celebrate Christ's love and grace in laying down his life in order to reconcile us to himself and to unite us together in his body. And so we need to eat it in a way that's consistent with his love and grace for each other. So we do need to examine our hearts, but we need to examine our hearts to ensure that we're not holding on to attitudes that are inconsistent with being part of God's church. Attitudes of pride. As we look down on others, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or attitudes of selfishness. Or division. Or resentment against somebody else who's in our church. Or unforgiveness. Because if we're holding on to those attitudes, then we need to deal with them before we share communion together. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. First, go and sort out your relationships with each other. Or do whatever you can to do that. And then, come together to worship the Lord. So Paul said it to his church lastly that when you come together to eat wait for each other. Instead of just selfishly thinking of yourself he, Paul wanted this church to be patient and loving and respectful of each other. So we don't just look back and look forward and look within we also look around. Communion is not a private thing. It's a community experience. We look around not to criticise others, not to compete with others, not to condemn with others, but to recognise the body of Christ, His people, and to cultivate the unity that Christ has formed through the sacrifice of of himself so that we who are many are one body so this morning let's be careful that we are not here saying one thing and doing another as we take communion together let's do it in a way that's unworthy in a way that's an unworthy manner, in a way that's consistent with what Jesus has done in our lives. Let's look back and remember Jesus and his willing sacrifice for us on the cross. Let's look forward in eager expectation of his return. Let's look within and examine ourselves to see if our attitude 
towards our brothers and sisters here this morning is right. And let's look around and celebrate that by His grace we have together become the children of God. And let's worship Him. Let's worship our Saviour and Lord. Because He alone deserves all the praise and all the honour.